again, everyone. It's the Smooth Thrills Radio Hour, beaming up to the satellites from Old East Dallas to locations all over the Earth. England, nice to hear from you again. Italy, thanks for stopping by. You stay classy, San Diego. We certainly hope you all enjoyed our last episode about the blob and the horrors of various jello-based lifeforms. But Series 4 must carry on. And in this episode, we're going to look back at the early 1970s and a movie that came out of a sort of a new Hollywood lost in America genre, a film called Aloha, Bobby, and Rose. Nathan and Katie are back to talk about this classic movie. Oh, by the way, if you're Katie's friend with the tiny dancer tattoo, we want to hear from you. Send photos to our Instagram or email us autopilot at smoothrillsradiohour.com. And don't worry, you'll know what I'm talking about when we get to that part of the show. But first, I got to warn you about something. It's never a dull moment hanging out with Bobby and Rose, but you got to watch out for Bobby. His ideas of a good time can be a little weird. Want to ride on a donkey? I know a good donkey you can ride on. More of a Gene Shallot sort of approach. Fuck to it. the Medveds. Fuck the Medveds. Okay. <laughs> Who are they? The inventors of the Golden Turkey Awards. What is that? Those fuckers. The ones that said uh, Plan Nine from Outer Space was was the worst film ever made. Well, that's Clearly why does not. this movie exists. Oh my no. God. I'm kidding. Oh, I'm right, kidding. Right, no, right. it's because something like Son of Paleface exists. Hey, wait a minute. You said if that was going to be at a certain box set, you would buy it too. Come on, Bob Hope. Come on. Bob Hope. Okay. Jane Russell's in it, I think. In, okay. I do like Bob Hope. Then you'll love Road to Morocco. We're on the we're on the road trip trail here. So let's get let's get it going then. Now, you may disagree with me, but I'm of the opinion that the one of us. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm of the opinion that the the great 60s Summer of Love died the day the first Alice Cooper record came out. Some may disagree with me on that benchmark. I think it works. But whatever you think about that, by 1975, no one could really deny that it was all well and truly over with. All the flowers and feel-good vibes had gone away. And America's teens were starting to realize that instead of the often-promised life of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, they were actually going to get single motherhood, dead-end jobs at the mechanic shop, endless nights of driving around in circles, and occasionally losing your wallet if you ever really had one in the first place. Some gave in and settled into that life. Some took off on the open road like the wild angels to ride their machines and get loaded, looking for some version of the American life they'd always heard about but never really seen for themselves. And then some decided to take a chance and leave their life behind entirely and take a fantastic voyage to someplace else. A place that really only existed in their dreams, even if they insisted on calling it Hawaii. Deep down they knew, however, that no matter what, the real world was going to catch up with them, sometimes violently. And the journey was ultimately doomed. Such is the journey of Bobby and Rose. Aloha, Bobby and Rose is the movie we're talking about this time. Welcome back to the Smooth Thrills Radio Hour. We have some opinions about this movie, I can already <laughs> tell. I do love the soundtrack. The soundtrack Very is amazing. Much the soundtrack. I don't know. Was the soundtrack ever available? I don't know if it was ever no. released. I mean, all you gotta do is put on an Elton John playlist and then you got it. <laughs> they they do dip into the Elton own, John well if you own soundtrack again. album to this film, Katie, so <laughs> they're Good, more I than like just that. Elton John. 
but I love Elton John, so that's what stuck out for me. Ah. Uh. It is a, a perfect time capsule of 1975 Los Angeles. It it's it captures that feeling really really well. A lot of movies do. I think Van Nuys was one of them. Van Nuys Boulevard. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. How, by the way, before we get too deep into this, I've never heard the man's name pronounced. So how do you? How is the director's name pronounced? Is it Floyd Mutrux? M U T R U X is his name. It's Mew Trucks, so it's like Mew Trucks. Mew Trucks. I've never yeah, heard the Yeah, it's the W is what throws it off. You think ah. it could be any, yeah. He was one of those guys, he was definitely a talented director who sort of got lost. I mean, say what you want about the new Hollywood movement of the early 70s and everybody that came out of it, but they tended to kill their darlings too, and this guy was one of them. He didn't get a lot of chances after this movie came out. I mean, American Hot Wax, fantastic. Hollywood Nights arguably a good movie and then he just never got a shot at directing again for no real apparent reason and i'm not did, sure what uh, it was some television and uh, his stuff was always mired in unavailability too like mm. hollywood nights was never officially released on video until 2000 20 years later it was mm -hmm. a cult classic having aired on cinemax and hbo continually yeah and Aloha, Bobby and Rose was available on media home entertainment on VHS, but it was one of those that was like way out of print until Anchor mm -hmm. Bay first put it on DVD. And then American Hot Wax still haven't gotten a release on that. And that's, as you know, most of it has to do with music. Yeah. Well, Aloha, Bobby and Rose was not a obscure movie i mean this thing was the seventh highest grossing movie of 1975 it made 35 million dollars on a budget of 600,000 by any measure it was incredibly successful and then just kind of disappeared yeah i suppose i didn't i never i don't think i ever saw it on cable i just happened to cross it by accident one time i had never even heard of it until you put it on mm. the list for this season well now and it like, is very obscure yes yeah. I'm definitely like not as knowledgeable as you guys, but I still am in the movie circle enough that it's like mm -hmm. I've heard of like most, not most, like you get what I'm saying. Like I feel like I had at least would have heard this name somewhere, but I've not oh, even. Sure. Well, considering what came out al along with it in that spring 1975, that March, April, May period, you're talking about such classics as Super Vixens, Dolomite, Death Race 2000, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, Switchblade Sisters, The Happy Hooker, Escape to Witch Mountain, Brannigan, Sheba Baby. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, okay, but it's in good company. And for it to come out of that whole mess and be as successful as it was really says something. And how it got to be where it is now is a little strange. I mean, sure, there's a lot of movies out there and they kind of get shuffled around maybe it was is, the genre i don't know maybe it was too maybe. crowded a genre for it to exist because there was a lot of these kind of movies that were coming along in over that course of 10 years we mentioned easy rider is one of them uh, the wild angels could maybe factor into that you had banishing point uh what else am i thinking of here does it have a cult following now blue. uh dirty mary yeah. crazy larry would be another one yeah. i would throw into that mix Two all of these titles i've never even heard of I think Mutrix in general has a cult following. His films are mm. always in this category. Okay. Um, 
it's important to note that this was an independent production that Columbia distributed theatrically. So it reverted rights back to the, to the independence. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that it kind of didn't languish as well, because like I said, it was distributed via media home entertainment, which Mm. picked up all independent features for the most part. Um, So Columbia didn't have that push, although later they made Hollywood nights with him, which was a polygram Uh co-production. Yeah, I think they had to renew the rights for that in order to release it in 2000. Yeah, I think it, it just kind of, it's weird, like what he says, that something so successful at the time is obscure now, by definition. Mm-hmm. It's very odd. But it definitely does go into the availability thing, too. Like, yeah. that does suck. Yeah. Like, I don't know that this was on re-releases in theaters through Columbia or not. I'm not sure. I don't think so. But you have to think, this was kind of the era when Jaws was right around the corner and the blockbuster mm. films that started changing the industry. Mm-hmm. So these type of personal films, they were still being made throughout the late, late 70s into the early 80s, but they just didn't get that same there wasn't any room. exposure. Wasn't right. any breathing room for them, yeah. Because I think Jaws mm. came out like two months after this movie possibly yeah, june it's pretty close yeah. this was an april release and it wasn't terribly well reviewed either um new york times said the only tragic thing in a film like this is the quality of stupidity the characters are forced to exhibit in order to keep the plot going okay um variety uh youth on the lamb themes a staple of so many picks in the last 10 years is getting tired and our beloved gene siskel who said, um, one of those overwrought sob stories about a young couple who are always getting in trouble. The guy's got a slightly brutish outlook on the world. The girl knows how to twist her hair and cry a lot. She doesn't cry a lot. She cries an are you adequate kidding? amount, and that's about it. Come on. What do you mean am I you kidding? You have to, like, peel her off the pavement after the shooting in the gas station. Well, why would It was a shooting I mean, at a gas honestly, station. There, to me, her whole world is over as she knows it at that point. Sure. Every single one of the characters in this, especially the two leads, are the most non-redeemable people that I could not find an ounce of remorse for. You didn't find Paul because Lamott like dashing in a young Steve Railsback sort of a way? And, if you no. believe what the guy said about him having been there the week before robbing them. Yeah. If you were like, I just I felt nothing for these characters. <laughs> Well, they're pro- I mean, they're not perfect by any means, of course. Right, and that, and, and I get that, but and you and can definitely her- argue like Paula, Paula Matt's character for sure, and then Diane Hole leaving her child. But she literally the says kid, at one the kid point, went to Disneyland. "I have to go back to him because his dad just left, so I can't too." So that's the only reason you want to return to your child because he already lost one parent. Like, I got the impression from the beginning of that trip that she knew it wasn't going to hold. She was also, yeah, yeah. in it for the weekend, and the that was going day? to be it. Yeah. yeah. Did they, they met this and went out This whole thing takes place night, over like right? two or three days. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. that well, yeah, is but... also mind-boggling to me. But I also well, just can't stand people and being near them for like five <laughs> minutes. So like maybe the whole concept of falling in love in one night is just so beyond unrealistic to me that it's like, you literally put everything you had on the line for for that guy. Oh, this movie should be called 
red flags. Well, he does want to get her in the... This is what that movie should be called. He does try to get her in the backseat back of a seat. VW Beetle, which doesn't have a backseat to my memory. The second kind of he looked at that guy that wanted purpose. the job where he made six fifty an hour and was like, oh, but what time do you have to get up? I'll stick with my $3 an hour job so I can come in at noon. And I'm just like, you're a deadbeat. <laughs> like... He's talking himself. I'm sorry into that I didn't like they're not they're not hiding that. I mean, she's right. almost as damaged as he is as a person. Like she's no, I, made I some mean... bad decisions too. And for me, it isn't so much about the characterizations, it's about the fantasy of them falling for each other mm -hmm. and the road trip, the hangout movie is something that was lost at that time. And I think a lot of it is just being in that world with them, whether you agree with them or not, or you decide, like, I'm raising my hand too, but, but you know, like certain decisions, I'm like, I don't know about that, but I'm going along with it. This was pretty common. There are a lot of movies like this. I mean, I've mentioned Dirty Larry, Crazy Mary, or I get it backwards every time. Sorry about that. Dirty Mary, Crazy Mary. That notion Mary. of all we got to do is get in the car and escape. Right. Yeah, but usually you want to see that outcome. Like you want to see, see where it goes, that movie. but this, there was <laughs> yeah. no ounce of like, I care where this is going. And maybe that's unfair of me, but like, it is noted though, where it was going. I think you need to watch Tulane Blacktop and Monty Hellman says, this is not an existential movie, but it totally is. Those like characters have made the escape. They have, they now exist in this. And this is just my interpretation of Tulane Blacktop. You may disagree. They exist in this sort of purgatory world of just endless drag racing, and they just move from one race to the next. They encounter different people. No one has a name. They're the driver, the mechanic, GTO, and the girl are the characters. I... And that's where Bobby and Rose are trying to get to, whether they realize it or not, but they can't because they're too anchored no, in the real world. She has a kid, right. and he's absolutely hopeless. I do agree with his sentiment the on the fact that there was nothing they could do once that kid got shot, that they would not be believed. I right. do right. totally agree with that and understand that. But I would have felt remorse for them, especially him. Maybe I'm being unfair to her, but especially for you just robbed the store last week. So you're not innocent in this. Had you I'm not, not sure fake robbed rob this the store, store today... But the, the, the guy says, you were just here last week. You stole $250 and the wedding ring that my, my father gave my mother or I gave my wife or something like that. I just watched it this morning. So unless that guy is just alluding to a robbery the week before. I but think that's always, like what he is saying. See, I took I it as in because this guy's it. always strapped for cash. Well, yeah, he's a bit of a grifter. You, you know what I mean? For sure. yeah. So like, yeah. if you take it as in he was in there last week, so you can say, hey, we're innocent in this kid getting shot, but had you not fake, fake, quote unquote, robbed the store, the kid would have never gotten shot. Mm. And do we know if it was even fake? He was leading her to believe it was fake, but was he really trying to get money out of the guy at the register? He doesn't like, strike me as being a competent enough guy to actually pull off a robbery. I don't, but yeah. I mean, like, I'm just trying to give you my viewpoint on it. Sure. Like, well, and there's also the frustration of the moment where you're going, why would you do that? Yeah. Hmm. Don't fuck around yeah. like that, you know? That isn't something that you just mess with, you know? She she is clearly on board with your journey. You don't need to do this show-off thing in the store to get her on board any more than she already But is. I took it as in, because they are stopping to get beer and wine, 
to then go to the pool hall where he has to pay his tab of 75 to 80 dollars because he went into it the night before not having enough money not the night before or whatever yeah so it's like i just feel like i'm curious now if the intention was to get money there or if it was just playing around i think it's ambiguous for a reason though too yeah but isn't it interesting how roads lead to nowhere right from the get-go and if you and if you try to analyze it and make sense of it, you you know that I mean you know from that sequence they're doomed. Hmm. There's no way they can like even toward the end. There's a moment where you think, oh maybe he can get out of it, but you know he's not going to. No, I mean those roads leading to nowhere also is something that's alluded to in Dirty Crazy because what gets under Larry's skin is when the guy in the back seat refers to him as a round and rounder, as the guy who just does the. Work. Yeah, he just does the round trip race, never actually going anywhere. Kind of like the guy yeah. at the beginning, kind of like um, in the beginning of uh, Sofia Coppola's movie, Somewhere, where he's just kind of going around in a circle and can never get, really ever get out of it. That's Bobby and Rose also. But also it's worth noting. Threw a that, lot out there just then, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no, no. But that brings up a good point because I don't know, Katie, if you've seen American Graffiti. Mm-mm. But this is very much an extension of Paul Lamatt's character in that, John Milner, which you could argue is equatable to like a Matthew McConaughey and Dazed and Confused type, where he's kind of stuck in this Deadly. world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just kind of. I have seen like Dazed and Confused. He's a street racing guy, and he's just kind of, he ends up having somewhat of a, a career beyond that in the sequel. But ultimately, we know that he's kind of, just in the same way he's a james dean archetype in a sense mm-hmm. like he's not going to last forever we know that and he didn't have to audition for this movie by the way because mutrix was such a fan of, of that American graffiti he offered him the role for this okay, had, he already done, had he already done more american graffiti before this no one that was that 1979 after? okay okay that was so 73 you, was the original and then that yeah hmm. okay do you think that this style subgenre however you want to equate it of mm. film still exists today like what no. are more modern okay because i was gonna say I, what are more modern titles that would be kind of similar to this well in the 90s you had quite a few movies similar like they were different tones like some were thrillers like california where you mm. you have these protagonist characters that you don't particularly care for you know what it made me think of that. And I don't know why, because we know that I always connect things in weird ways, but it made me, because I just watched this for the first time, and I'm going to be honest, don't 100% understand the appeal of it either, but it made me think a lot of Raising Arizona. Interesting. Do go do go on. I'm, I'm genuinely I mean, the, it just, they... the, the part where they're trying to drive away and they wreck the bug just made me think of the yeah. diaper scene in Raising Arizona, where he has to go back and get, because he threw him out of the car. Like, yeah. it's just, that like, there... that is where... There is also yeah. his dream at the end where they're thinking of the great place where all the kids are there and their elderly grandparents. And he thinks, oh, maybe it was Utah. That's their Hawaii, I guess, in that case. I just, I'm wondering if I have a disconnect with it because this style story is, is mm-hmm. gone now. Yeah, you're looking for probably more substance. Yeah, because it, I really felt like is. I watched nothing. And, and I'm, I'm being harsh, but it's like... In that case, I would recommend you go and watch the 
what had to happen was the eventual parody of this genre movie, which would be Albert Brooks's Lost in America. Kinda, Nathan, you yeah. may or may not That's agree. That's very much, yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. That was, that could, was, you could argue yeah. it being called Easy Rider 2. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I don't, like, my goal is never to be, is never to just go hate a film. Like, that is not my mm. goal when I watch movies. And I'm usually pretty lax and being like, well, it was a movie, you know. You've heard me say that before, but this just, I just did not vibe with it at all. For me, I'm already a fan of Diane Hull and Paul yeah. and, Matt and Robert Carradine and Tim McIntyre and Lee French and Noble Willingham. So for me, it's just hanging out with people that, that I you like. like. Mm-hmm. Whether or not they make the right decisions, I'm just along right. for the little- And certainly the Tim McIntyre and Lee French characters, you could mm. argue are very much equatable to Bobby and Rose. Like they're on their own path to nowhere, Uh you know? Yeah, but they're also so destructive and just harsh too. Does that make sense? Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, Tim McIntyre is ready to throw down with anybody in any moment, you know? Sure. And I, I I don't know. Like, I I feel bad now. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. I I will. I just. Because honestly, you should be able to walk into this without any preconceived notions about anybody involved and just judge it on its own merit. It is very much a time capsule of that period in time. And it's, it may be a little hard for modern audiences to connect to because of that. I mean, the modern equivalent might be anybody who sits down to watch a YouTube video of people who have tricked out their van and are traveling across country for no other reason than just to do it the the nomad life that's a totally that's not a movie to me that's like a totally different thing is it that's like being like yeah because like i watch a movie because i'm gonna watch like i don't like documentaries because i want the not real aspect of things the escape Hmm. so to equate it to a real life person tricking out a van and driving across america that's that's not a film like you know what i mean it's called super van but you, you get what I'm saying. But there like, is no plot. You're right. You're right. It's not. I mean, there was really no. There no is plot no plot to, to Superman either. But <laughs> maybe if they had built on the characters more, because you are very much thrown into these people's lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, also in the end scene when she's sobbing over his body, her hair is not wet once, and it is pouring its ass off. Sorry, that bugs me. <laughs> Because it is well, like visibly raining and her hair is completely dry. <laughs> it is okay. It is Diane Hole, and she went through a lot of shit in the fifth floor. I don't know if you've seen that, but we'll we'll give her a pass on that. Is that the fifth floor where her aunt owns like an apartment complex, or am I thinking no, something you, different? Oh, are you thinking of the fourth floor, the Juliet Lewis film? Oh, is it Juliet? It's been a while since I've seen it. I didn't know it was Juliet, but like it's really fucked up. Like the aunt owns the building and she, or the aunt dies or something, no, and she has to go more, in. So this is a psycho ward, basically. She gets drugged at a discotheque and ends up in a psycho ward, and horrible things happen. Oh, I want to watch early that. Early performance of Robert England is one of the inmates. And in he the, said it's called the Fifth Floor. Yeah, that wasn't the New Adventures of Pippi Longstocking. I have to fix my no, notes. No, she is in that. She is in that. It'd make a great double feature with um, the film Human Experiments, which came out the Ooh. following year with Linda Hayne and Jeffrey Lewis, but that's more of a prison film and a totally fucked up. There's some witchcraft Ooh. in that, but it's a good double Ooh. bill. 
It was also known as Beyond the Gate, not Beyond the Gates, which is like 12 different movies, but Beyond the Gate, and Jason will remember this, on Late Night with David Letterman in the opening sequence, you see a theater marquee, and it says Beyond the Gate on it, and that's the movie. Ah. Anyway. anyway. You're talking about when he was still at the RCA building, old Letterman. NBC, the early years at NBC. Yeah, Yeah, okay, gotcha. Yeah, but Diane Hole did like all these like totally seventies movies. Aloha, Bobby and Rose definitely being one of them. But she did a movie called Girls on the Road, where it was like they pick up this hitchhiker who's a Vietnam vet, and he may or may not have killed some girls. You know, it's that kind of. It's another type of road movie. But see, I love seventies. Like seventies, I think is the best decade for horror. Like I love seventies movies, but I I don't, I think, I think I just don't like anything other than horror in the seventies. I need to look at some of like films I really like and see if any of them from the seventies venture outside of horror. Does that make sense? But what about like Scorsese? Have you seen any of those or Coppola? I've seen, I've, I have seen the departed and Goodfellas. Okay, you definitely got to watch Mean Streets and Taxi Driver. Yeah. I think backwards, you would enjoy a lot of Scorsese stuff. The 70s is the total testing ground for him. Who's that knocking at my door? Boxcar Bertha, all these films. And you might even argue that there's no point to a lot of those characters. And Uh I'd be interested to see what you think of Taxi Driver. I do really want to see Taxi Driver. I just never have. You talk that, about that is, unredeemable characters throughout. Yeah, you're getting thrown into the deep end of the pool on that one. It is. Yeah, yeah. But all those guys came. All those guys came up together through that system. You had Coppola, Scorsese. I would throw in even Spielberg. The Hollywood. Those brats. guys. Yeah, yeah, along with I don't think I don't think this guy. Milius. Milius. Yeah, I don't. I don't think this guy was a part of that group necessarily, but he came up at the same time as the rest of them. No, but he was definitely influenced by George Lucas coming off of American Graffiti. Yeah, Dusty and Sweets McGee was, um, that was 71. Which one? Dusty and Sweets McGee, his movie Yeah, 71, yeah. Which is another kind of, it's a definitely a cultish, mm-hmm. I don't want to say cultish, but it's a cult. I mean, all his films don't really fit a necessary category. Right. Mm-hmm. Like he did stuff that just, Kind of like what Jason's saying, where you have a Monty Hellman type. Maybe that's too too broad of a spectrum to associate the two. But Monty Hellman, all his films were just you have to be a fan or not. Hmm. Because if you're if you watch Cockfighter, which I don't think Katie would ever watch that, but it's a brilliant character study, and it's not something most people will enjoy. That's and fair. Same thing with the shooting, possibly. That's like an existentialistic Western, mm-hmm. if anything. Well, I, I'm not a big fan of Westerns. And that one, I don't watch them and then go, oh, I do like watching. I, what did you say? What? I was going to mention what? Pardon My Gun, but uh, a Tom Keen classic. <laughs> another another <laughs> box set contender. You know, he said Nathan, I've never, I've never, I have never Western seen the movie. That. Never seen the movie. I just love the title. It's a perfect title. Pardon My Gun. It's fantastic. Well, it's, it's very gracious, you know, you know. <laughs> most outlaws don't give a shit if you care about their gun or not. So it's very nice. Yeah, to, I, know. You know. I think they would prefer you not to care about their gun. 
Well, or care about it. That way you take it. It depends on if you mean gun or if a gun is substitute for something else. I feel like I'm being set up here. <laughs> no. It's not a trench coat. I, it movie. just dawned it's on me. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. What's weird is it's a, like a bizarre like tie-in with Pardon My Sarong. <laughs> I don't know what to do with you guys sometimes. I don't know. I don't know. I just know that this is an hour and 28 minutes. I'll never get back. Oh. Sorry, guys. If anything, perhaps that would put a spotlight on some of the talent involved that you'll enjoy elsewhere. I'm a huge fan of Tim McIntyre. I think he's totally underrated as an actor. Gone too soon. Gone much too soon. And he was a multi-talent. His father was John McIntyre from Wagon Train. His mother was also on that show. Um, but he did all these like TV spots, but he was also an actor in films and a composer. A boy and his dog, Gumball Rally. Yeah. He did the scores for, uh, a boy and his dog. And he voiced the dog character in that. And he was a great mm-hmm. voiceover artist who did a shit ton of trailers and TV spots. And what about, uh, Miss French, who is Donna Sue in this movie, who was also in, Classics like The Drowning Pool, White Line Fever, Great Smoky Roadblock. <gasps> I love White Line Fever. History of the World yeah. Part 1, Halloween 2, Summer School. I think she was in Summer School. That She's in The Hollywood Nights. Yes. Being assaulted by Stuart Pankin. Oh, damn. <laughs> on a merry-go-round. <laughs> no. And of course, uh, we have Robert Carradine as Moxie, who is in yeah. Pom Pom Girls, Massacre at Central High, Orca. Come on. Tag the assassination game. All four Revenge of the Nerds movies. Max Keeble's How big How did they movie. age? Which ones? Hmm? The you said Revenge of the Nerds, right? Oh, how did they age? Not well. I I, I don't Not feel well. like they would. Um, easy, 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 easy. It doesn't mean that. Are you talking to me? You, you can't talk- have fondness for them. I'm just curious as to how well they aged. Yeah, I think it's important to look at that, and well, any of these movies we just mentioned, you got to look at them in in their context and not trying to... I agree. The year they came out. I, I get that. I mean, yeah, 80s comedies had some problematic aspects to them, to be fair. Something I wanted to throw out there also, Nathan, um, and Katie, in case you... I don't know if you've seen the movie or not, but I'll mention it anyway. I watched Aloha, Bobby and Sue as a part of a double feature, a triple feature one day. I watched Aloha, then Tulane Blacktop, and then I threw in Electroglide and Blue. Which nice. felt to me like watching the first two movies, but from the opposite perspective. If that makes any kind of sense. Because in all those movies, you have the sudden presence of the police who just kind of like, ah, fuck, we got to deal with this now. That's Electroglide in yeah. Blue also. You have those de- cops out in the desert who basically just sit around waiting for somebody to come by that they can pick on. And it's, it is kind of like watching these other movies, but from the opposite side of the mirror. I don't know if you got that impression of it or not, or if I've ever thought about it that way. But it kind of felt that way to me after watching these two. Maybe it's just because I watched the other two first. I don't know. Probably, Yeah, I think so, in succession. But yeah, I get what you're saying. It has the same kind of themes, though. You have this guy who's looking to get out of his rut, and as he puts in the movie, get paid for thinking, which doesn't go anywhere either. It's sort of the same sort of doomed mission that Bobby and Rose are on, in a way. He was never I mean, they're work. also usually their own worst enemies, too. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
they're dreaming of getting out of it, but they're going to complicate it all the way through. And almost make like every bad decision <laughs> along well, the way. In, in Bobby's case, it was sheer stupidity. In John Wintergreen's case in Electroglide, it's his own earnestness that finally does him in. It's his own sense of morals that does it instead of what happened with Bobby and Rose, which was just yeah. an endless series of stupid decisions that they seem to be making. <laughs> Not the getting tied up with uh, the McIntyre character, Buford. Which happens pretty late in the film. That's not necessarily a terrible decision. I mean, he does try to rescue them to some degree. He does pee in yeah, his car. Yeah, and he's car, very helpful. Kinda, you know, he gives them money and, you know. Yeah. But it also gives him a breakthrough in his character, too. Like, I liked that whole part of it where he was like, oh, yeah, the football season. It was the first mm -hmm. day of the first seat. Like, I liked that whole, like being knocked down a peg because sometimes you make things more big than they are to look impressive. And then Ooh. you're reminded that, Hey, this isn't always how you need to paint things out. We're going to talk about his probably, well, one of his few lead roles was supplied by Mutrix. Brubaker? He plays Alan Freed in American Hot Wheels. Oh, Alan Freed. That's right. okay. Yeah. And he's brilliant in that, you know, and he only, I think maybe Sacred Ground might have been the only other like total lead role that he had as an actor because he was always this character actor. Mm. And then he died very early, like 1986, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was, he yeah. was 41, I think. Yeah. And one of my absolute favorite performances of his, and it's not a well-known movie, but I love it. And I don't know, I don't, Katie may not dig it. It may be another one where you're like, why are we watching these people for two hours? But I mean, I've watched shit because I love the people who are in it. I've done that. Like, well, okay. This one's I called Fast Walking of. and it's got James Woods and Kay Lenz and <sighs> Tim McIntyre plays an inmate who's like this controlling force within and then james woods works in the prison um it's kind of a reverse on tim mcintyre being in brubaker where he's mm -hmm. one of the cops or the one of the police force in that um, police force but you know what i mean guards <laughs> a police squad sure if you will yeah. but he also he also did the uh trailer narration and tv spots for brubaker so the little mm. <laughs> and superman one and two he did this he did the trailers for that that's his voice. Really? Yeah. Well, I know that, um, is it Lee French? Our first name's pronounced? You said it earlier. Yeah. I can't remember. She did some voice work also. In fact, she was one of the voices in the video game Zork Grand Inquisitor, of all things. Okay. Mm. I did not know that before researching that this. Game. Well, she, she kind of got, I mean, she was, on, again, like Tim, where she was doing a lot of television and made her mark kind of on the Smothers Brothers. Mm. Smothers Brothers, I love that. Yeah. And of course you have Noble Willingham as Uncle Charlie. He plays like the same role over and over drink, again. Isn't that great? Drinking whiskey at eight o'clock in the morning, getting ready to yeah. get on the car a lot. And of course he was, a, he's, God, he, how many movies did he do? Like 200, 300? I don't know. I've lost track. That he's guy, been in that, he was like, you know, he's like the M. Emmett Walsh where you're in yeah. everything. <laughs> Big yeah. Bad Mama, Chinatown. Relatively obscure film, uh, Sheila Levine is Dead and Living in New York. I think oh, yeah. I like the title. I love really long, obscure titles like that. Marquee Busters, as I like to call them. 
Yes. I think that's why I like Giallo films so much because they always have those weird, crazy ass titles. Yeah. What have you I done used with to think those were, like, I, yeah. <laughs> I used to think those were translation errors, but I think they did that on purpose. And then they, did you ever see the the sequel to that? I didn't know it had a sequel. Wait, me or yeah. him? You, Go ahead. Yeah. Solange. Yeah. What is it? Wait, um, you're being a poop. No, 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 no. It was in the '80s, and it uh, Janet Jackson did the theme song. What have you I done to Solange you. lately? I don't. <laughs> I knew we were getting there, and I was like, "I'm just gonna just let it happen." What happened? <laughs> you, you happen. Well, God, the, the original of, title is of so these long. kind of uh, horror movies, Katie. You have yet to make your Eddie Almost connection here. Yeah, was, that was going to be my Wolfen reference. Chicano number one, Edward James Almost, in his first yeah. speaking role. Markers, man. That's it. He actually has a longer, like, evidently there was a scene that was cut where when Robert Carradine's waiting at the pool hall yeah. for Paula Matt to show up, and he's on that date with Diane Hole the whole time, and they're just losing track of time, Eddie Almost and his gang beat the shit out of him. And uh, yeah, so that scene was cut, and evidently mm. it was a pretty great scene. Robert Carradine on record was pretty pissed about it mi being missing from the film when he saw it. I wonder it. why. I wonder what the what resulted in it being taken out. Well, they like, had to the find reasoning? a place. They had to find a place to put a third needle drop on Tiny Dancer, so the the scene had to go. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> there are three other Elton songs in that. Come on, and they well, use each of them song. six times. Your yeah. song, um, of course, Benny and the Jets, which is mm -hmm. that's probably why this is one of my favorites, is that opening title is just beautiful. Well, they, they reuse the footage from the sex scene and put a different Elton John song over it the second time. Because the first On time Tubi, they the ads Dancer. dropped right in the middle of the weird sex scene. It's not that weird. It's uh, It's very close up. Very, yeah. very close up. Monkey Cat is also on the soundtrack. Right. Along with the Temptations, uh, yeah. uh, kind of a version of Bob the Bob Dylan song, kind of. I don't think it's him doing it. I'm not sure. It doesn't sound like him. At the end, over the end credits. No, it is. It is like a Rolling Stone. It is it's him. Yeah. Wow. Um, you got Little Eva, Locomotion. Mm-hmm. Signed, sealed, and delivered by Stevie Wonder. The soundtrack Lenny was Welch. phenomenal. Yeah, mm -hmm. Since I Fall for You by Lenny Welch is a great fucking song, and I love how it's used in this one. I like how they um, use locomotion also in that with the Volkswagen mm -hmm. tipping over as they. Yeah, I did like that scene back over the curb. That was well like done. how it was done. Even though Paul Lamatt already has like the blood pack on his head when he hits the windshield. <laughs> yeah. and, like, okay, and he's well, clearly he like trying to aim for a certain spot on the windshield, too, when he kind of comes up there and tilts a little bit. Yeah. And I don't know if you've ever been inside one of those old VW bugs, but it is crazy hard. I can't imagine how you would actually launch yourself out the driver's side window of one of those things the way he does he had to have been i'm not sure that's physically possible to do i have to go back and watch herbie goes to monte carlo to see if that's <laughs> if that ever happens to don knotts they do a giant car wreck of that nature don knotts hits the windshield and dives out the car i don't herbie. remember that part <laughs> you sure of course dean jones herbie and i are gonna win the race good stuff <laughs> What else do we have to cover aside from Katie's glowing review? Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. 
love is a weird concept to me. So when somebody does it in the span of 12 hours and you're willing to mm. give up your whole life for it, it is, even in a movie world, is highly unbelievable to me. <laughs> okay, well, I do have to mention this. There is a slight cameo in this film. Slight and cameo. it's by Humble Harv Miller, who's a radio disc jockey. Okay. That recently got a bit of resurgence as being one of the, the voices of KHJ Box Radio in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay. And Tarantino, of course, used the original broadcasts of him and the real Don Steele. Mm. Um, what's interesting is he was at KHJ from 1967 to 1971 because he murdered his wife. And he went to jail for about three years. Basically, it was one of those love passion things. The his attorney claimed that she pulled the gun on him in an argument, and he grabbed the gun and it fired. And defended her. a self defense type thing. Yeah, but he ran. He's fled the scene immediately. It took like a couple weeks for them to find him. He but they wouldn't have believed off. it if he told the truth anyway. Right. So it's, it's kind of like Bobby and what Rose. What does this remind uh-huh. yeah. of? A parallel. But huh. who knows if that's actually what happened, but that's Probably what got is. him. Yeah. At any rate, so by the time he did this movie, he actually was at KKDJ 102, 102.7 FM. So that's the actual radio station he was working at. It was the second one after getting out of prison. Hmm. And he also was in the Hollywood Nights. He's the disc jockey that they, you see live when, I think it's the Mike Bender character takes the tire to the thing you remember on the prank or whatever the it's been a long time since i saw it yeah yeah so he's actually in it he had a kind of a storied career i mean there was of course the stigma to him that Mm -hmm. kind of damaged the rest of his career but mutrix liked the guy and had him in his movies so from what you guys have said he seems to work with the same people a lot uh yeah common among many directors yeah yeah, like leave French for sure. Oh, definitely, but this guy particularly right now. No, I would agree. Anything else? No, we didn't mention Wolfen enough. Wait. Well, I wasn't even yeah. going to mention Wolfen. I was going to particularly mention the werewolf episode because this is now below Howling. Oh. Which was my, my lowest rated well, film of what we've yeah, watched I mean, so we, far. From the beginning, we told everybody, you may not like everything. Oh, but definitely. Least, but at least you've seen it now. You know what this is about. And may, who knows? Maybe sometime down the road, you'll take another look and think, oh, my first impression of Electroglide in Blue was pretty negative. I didn't like it at first. The first time I saw it, I didn't get it. Maybe it's because I heard too much about it already. But watching it again in the context of these other movies got me an entirely different perspective on it. Maybe that will happen at some point down the road with you and Aloha and Bobby and Rose. Maybe not. I don't know. Or you'll maybe venture off and see stuff like American Graffiti and kind of get more of American a... Graffiti has been on my list for a while. I think you should. I think I think that's almost like an essential prerequisite to seeing this film because you could see how it would have inspired something like this. Oh, yeah. Street racing, you know, that kind of thing back in the day. Mm-hmm. And then leading up to like 1979. American Graffiti yeah. launched more than a few ships, yeah. And the Bobby Carradine movies that he did after this, like you were saying, with one of my all-time favorites, Pom Pom Girls. So much fun. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Max, Max Keeble's big move, but 
okay pom pom. No, I wasn't gonna say that. <laughs> you know, I used to have a Yahoo group dedicated to Robert Carradine that I ran. Of course you did. 15, 20 years ago. And Aloha Bobby and Rose was like one of those that I was so desperate to get like stills from hmm. to have in the I mean, this is so ancient. They don't even have these anymore, I don't think. But uh, yeah, it was difficult to find photos from this film because it was so obscure at the time. Mm-hmm. I feel like it still is now. It is. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's just not as well known. Like what he was saying in the beginning of it being as popular as it was in theaters, it's kind of weird that it's now obscure. Yeah. It's like an alternate reality of sorts or something where... What mm-hmm. seems to go... Like, if it doesn't succeed in theaters, then it becomes a cult classic later. And if it succeeds in theaters, then you never hear about it again. Like, it's, yeah, I'm not saying 100% across the board, but no, but it, it does, does happen, seem sure. to be that way. And there's often misconceptions about what we deem failures. Yeah. I think we've talked about it before. Showgirls has been lambasted as one of the, like, biggest bombs of all yeah. time. But it was actually number two when it opened at the box office for an NC-17 movie. The theater I was in was packed. Yeah. And it was what? There was no defeating the first slot, which was seven. So, yeah. Not bad. Any final thoughts on Aloha and Bobby Rose other than, I would say be sure to check it out. Make it a double feature with something like Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry. Maybe that'll help get you into it more. I don't know. But it's definitely worth your time, I think. Nathan, I know this is one of your favorites. It's a feel-good movie for me, which I know sounds crazy. Bizarre. But it's like comfort comfort food. Sure. No, I I definitely get that. Having that. I've watched it probably like 20 times, probably. I don't know. And it's like I can have it on in the background and just Mm. be into, you know, just that vibe that it has, I guess. And if you don't like Elton John at all, please don't watch this movie. I just really like Elton John. <laughs> we'll do a smash cut of how many times Tiny Dancer has dropped into a movie. Or Tony Danza, as I like to refer to it. Hold me closer, Tony Danza? Yeah. I have a friend who has a Tiny Dancer tattoo. Nice. How big is it? Her foot. It's 12 inches long? I didn't say a foot. She got a I tattoo swear. of her own foot? No, on her foot of Tiny Dancer. And Tony Danza. I'm done. Now, you show somebody your foot and it's got a tattoo of Tony Danza from Going Ape on it. You better have a story about how the fuck that happened to back that shit up. Or you show somebody <laughs> your foot with a tattoo of Tony Danza who has your your foot tattooed on him that has a Tiny Dancer <laughs> Holy tattoo shit, on it. about existentialism. Whoa. Wow. There we go. And if you know the difference between Tony Danza in that movie and Tony Danza with another ape in Cannibal Run 2, that's even, oh my God. On that stunning bombshell, I think it's time to draw this episode to a close. Graciously. Thank you all for listening. Go watch Aloha, Bobby and Rose. We'll catch you next time. Or not. Well, once again, another show has drawn to a close. Thank you so much for listening. The Smooth Thrills Radio Hour is a production of Ghostcraft and is recorded live in Dallas, Texas. Please email your questions and comments to autopilot at smooththrillsradiohour.com or drop us a message on Instagram. Enjoy the rest of your day. Young heart, we breathe, man.
has been a ghost craft presentation.